speakers Brooke and Celinda back with us again uh, so basically the last episode we kind of introduced them what they do um, if you're not aware um, especially with uh, in the child realm or dealing with juveniles and in sex offenses um, it's not just police officers or detectives it's a it's a team um, you've got caseworkers you have forensic interviewers you have advocates you have prosecuting attorneys it, it, there's there's a lot that go. You have the medical side um, as well, um, so there's a lot that goes into it. So if if you remember in our last episode, we we briefly talked on or we had a recording um, that kind of talked about one in four girls, one in seven boys, and I think that's really important. Um, it kind of hits home. Um, I've had a, a close family member who was uh, a victim of this type of stuff when um, that family member was a juvenile. And um, I just kind of want to go into the fact that you're not alone. Um, this does happen, unfortunately, a lot. Just um, looking at the numbers, again, one in four, one in seven. That's kind of that's the staggering Yeah, numbers. one in four I don't think hits too many people. I mean, it hits hard, one in four females, but I think that's kind of expected. The one that I don't think people really expect is the one in seven. And I know a lot of times it is hard for those those boys to come forward um most people do think it's little girls uh, outside i'm talking outside of my cases individuals that have questions about sex abuse they typically say well the majority of them are girls which is accurate but the one in seven i think blows people away that this is also happening to little boys and i actually have a stat that the first time I heard it, I it literally just sent chills through my body. So the stat is that boys who are sexually abused, on average, wait 20 years to tell a soul. They keep that to themselves for 20 years. Which is, which is terrible. Delayed disclosures are common. That, I would say, would be out of the common realm for for boys. And I, we can talk about that. I, I, I have we'll my own that opinion that about that. Yeah. Why boys? That's the importance of education, though. Yeah. You know, that's Correct. why we need to let them know you're not the only ones. Um, it's not a, a check on on you being a man if you if someone took advantage of you when you were a child. You know. And we'll go over that more. Yeah. Um, but before we get to all that stuff, let's kind of circle back. I see what I did. I, I did it. I saw it. I'm going to do that some more. Mm -hmm. But anyways, let's talk about what happens if a child discloses to you. What's the next steps? What are commonly? Uh, I, I I know we're asked as detectives. I'm I'm interested how often you get that question. Not just at the Children's Advocacy Center, but outside, people know what you do for a living. Right. And when people know what you do for a living, everyone at some point has a question about things like what Cam just brought up. What do you do 
I know what I would tell them as a detective, but from a, an interviewer standpoint or a juvenile victim's advocate standpoint, what would be the best advice that you guys can give? Like we talked about in, in part one, no one's ever ready for this. You can't, there's no way that you can prepare yourself to either have it happen to you or a family member, a close family member. And so you can try to get it in your mind. This is what I think I would do. You're never really prepared. But if we can best educate any listener out there, what advice would you give? I think my advice would be to listen. Let that child tell you and then act on it. Let them know, you know, say thank you. Thank you for coming to me and thank you for telling a lot of kids don't because they're afraid of getting in trouble. They're afraid of how their parents are going to react or whoever, whoever they decide to tell. They're afraid of that reaction because a lot of times, I won't say every time, but a lot of times, um, you know, the suspect, perpetrator, whoever, whatever you want to call them, they will use that manipulation or they'll use those words of, you know, you're going to get just as much trouble as I am, or this is your fault or which we commonly see or I'll kill your, or your family yes, or, or nobody's going to believe or you. no one's going to believe you. This is who I am. Why would they believe you? So I think that if a child does or, or an adult um, does you know, muster up enough courage to come and say, Hey, this happened to me. I think that it's really important to listen and then to say, thank you. Thank you for telling me. And we're going we're gonna to handle this. And I'm going to support you. That's a good point uh, as far as, you know, I say mama bear. But, you know, it can happen with dads as well. But it, when they finally disclose and you ask, well, when did that happen? And they say a year ago. And then usually it's. Why didn't you tell me sooner? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the kid's kind of like, oh, see there, I did get in trouble. I shouldn't have said anything. I shouldn't have said anything in most little kids are going to pick up on that. Kids within a household are punished for certain uh, behaviors that they, they, they pick up on adults. They're very, very good readers of our body language, how our facial expressions uh, come across, things that we say. And so immediately, why didn't you tell me sooner? Um, I, I hate to say it, we're all human, right? And I, I don't want to sit here and, and bash parents uh, for being put into a situation that they don't know how to handle. But if you can take a step back for a second and, and get out of your own feelings and realize, try to do your best, be a good listener like Brooke is saying, but remove yourself from being that angry parent. It's almost like putting on a great Oscar performance is what I, what I try to tell parents when I make first contact with them and I'm explaining these things to them. For the benefit of the child, you put on a great Oscar performance. You let them know that they're going to be safe and that they're going to be okay. And so I really like that Brooke brought up, just be a good listener. And I think most parents, their first reaction is shock and then anger. And it's not at the child for disclosing. It's that it happened to their child and that parents always say, I can't believe I didn't notice or that this was going on, you know, and I never saw the signs. And so I think internally that anger is probably at themselves mm -hmm. in that in that minute. Sure. Um, but the way that you react to a child who discloses, it contributes to whether or not that child is going to talk to somebody else about Absolutely. what happened to them. 
absolutely. And I go back. So the reason that I, I put that question on you two, Cam and I know from a law enforcement standpoint, you know, a lot of times we're viewed as the cold-blooded ones, the, the heartless ones. We're only there for the facts, people. It's true. Right? Which is true. <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up, but thank you, Brooke. Right. You're um, but yeah, that's how, that's how we're viewed because what I would tell a parent, what should I do, would be stop asking them questions about it. Here's what we're going to do next. And then we bring him over to the Children's Advocacy Center. And so it's really easy for a detective when we're making that contact within a case. But it's, whether yeah. it's right or wrong, we're almost pawning them off to the sensitive ones, which would be everyone that works at the center. It's not that we are not sensitive, but our role is to kind of take a step back and say, we don't want that influence for you to continue to pepper questions at your kid, which is why detectives say, stop asking questions because there's going to be a time and a place where they tell that story. Yeah. And I think it's important to kind of put out there from a law enforcement perspective. Um, if your kid comes forward and discloses to you, don't shut them down and just say, Oh, okay. I'm going to call someone. You're going to talk to them, let them talk. And then say, like you guys had mentioned, um, Thank you for telling me that. Um, Which is a great and, point. And we're gonna, you don't, we're you don't want to cut them off. Yeah, don't, don't cut, cut them, them off because then they're going to, again, take that as a, okay, they actually don't want to hear. But so that doesn't mean that they Don't follow up with questions. Yeah, when did it happen? Questions. Where did it happen? Who was there? What did he do? Did he do this? Did she do that? Did all those types of things? Try to stay away from that. Contact whoever your uh, local, rather you want to contact the your local DCFS, your your the Department of Child and Family Services or your local law enforcement, or if it happened very recently, you want to just get them uh, a medical exam done. Um, just do that, but be that open ear, listen to them. And then I, I actually would suggest going, you know, reporting it first because, you know, law enforcement or DCFS is going to have that connection with the appropriate medical right. um, because it, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but it is a very uh, specialized medical per professional that should be doing that right. e exam as well. But, um, you know, this is, this is such a great question because, you know, back, you know, before kids, I would always say, gosh, why would a parent do that? Like, why are they firing off all these questions? But now that I have kids, I'm like, I mean, my kid comes home with a bruise and I'm like, how did that happen? What were you doing? You know, who, saw, yeah, who you saw that? And I mean, this yeah. is my profession. And then I'm like, oh, so if he, you know, came home and said, someone did this to me, I, I completely understand why wanting to know mm -hmm. and why a parent would ask all those questions. And so, um, I and then you add the traumatic yes. uh, incident and, and obviously you have a, a, the primary one, that is experiencing the traumatic, but we have secondary trauma as well. Sure. And a lot of times it's the families that are experiencing that. And so when a parent finds this out, overreaction is, is common. I, we see it all the time. Some parents do it better than others. But again, if we can educate for anybody that has not experienced this and you listen to this and you're able to take a step back and say, I remember what they, they taught and I remember what they said. Um, in this recording, I think is a benefit because, again, Oscar performance, take a step back, 
don't shut them down, but you don't need to sit there and pepper with questions. And, and that's why I just love, you know, the, the simple of, listen, you know, oh, like your child comes to you, oh, my gosh, you know, tell me, tell me what happened. And then they can just talk and you can just listen and then you can get the information that they're, you know, either willing to share at that point to just assess, you know, whether it's safe to disclose. Um, and then you can say, thank you. You know, we're, I support you in this and we're going to handle it. Right. And I think that that's kind of the biggest segue is that we will handle it. And the other thing that I always tell parents is continue with, you were so brave to tell me. It takes a really strong person to talk about this. We will do what we need to do to protect you. That's not just fluff either. It isn't. And it it shouldn't be. more and more in the longer that I do this, it's, it's not that you're trying to, to fluff the comment of, oh, you're so brave. That is a legitimate um, gold star for them because we know that delayed disclosures are the common things. We, we know that the majority of sex abuse incidents are never reported. Right. And then the percentage afterwards of delayed disclosure, very common. And so you have to know that there's an inward battle going on with a child or anybody, it could be an adult as well. But since we're, we're talking about children, that is an inward battle that a child is going through trying to muster up the, the courage to tell somebody that they feel uncomfortable uh, with the entire situation and be able to articulate, this is what happened to me. It's not fluff. It really is a, you're awesome. You, you, you came forward, you had the courage You've disclosed. Let us take over from here. Let us help. Well, I think um, a lot of times the kids or the victim are coming forward and just giving a little tiny piece of what happened just to kind of assess, you know, what is going to be their reaction? Am I going to get shut down? Am I going to be believed? Um, Because I would say a lot of times parents come in knowing that something has happened because that's what they've been told. But after the interview, they're like, oh, I had no idea that all of that happened. And so, you know, I think that when the child does, you know, decide to come forward and say, hey, this happened to me, they're just giving a very small piece just to kind of assess that situation of, can I talk about this? Is it going to be okay? Am I going to get in trouble? Like, what what is the fallout going to look like? Um, there is one thing and this may open up some discussion, but there's one thing that I I don't like seeing is when um, parents or, you know, whoever is talking with this person who's come forward and disclosed and they say, okay, what would you like to see happen? I, I often, I, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say, but I don't feel like that's necessarily fair because as we know, most of the time kids know their offender and it's, you know, someone close, someone that they love and they don't necessarily want to see that person get in trouble. They just want the abuse to stop. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that puts a lot of undue pressure on the child to make that decision at that time. What, what do you guys think? Where you at? Well, I, I, whether someone else wants to jump in, I, I think <clears throat> from a law enforcement standpoint, let's take any crime, a, a burglary or any type of stolen property, some criminal mischief. I mean, you think of it. 
Control officers are so used to uh, taking the report, and if they're able to identify who the suspect is, many times, if they're an adult, they will ask something to the effect of, and it doesn't always have to be exactly like that, but what would you like us to do? Or are you willing to pursue charges in this matter? Sex abuse is different, and I do not like it when uh, patrol officers do that. Well, number one, in the state that we live in, with children, there is no choice. And so it's not like you can go to a family and just shut the investigation down. If a child has been neglected, physically abused, uh, sexually abused, the state will jump in and, and take on the role of the victim. And so there's no choice there. And that's why sex abuse cases are different than those other cases where you look at a family and say, would you like to pursue charges in this matter? It's just different. And that's why I don't like, from a law enforcement standpoint, that question when we hear it. Um, no officer should be asking that, especially in these cases. Yeah, no officer should be asking that. I also don't think um, parents should be asking the kids that. Um, I mean, you look at case law for asking a, a juvenile questions. You know, they, they have to be 14 years of age or older to be able to say they understand their rights and answer the questions without us. And even then, if a parent's there, that kind of falls back on them yeah. to make that choice. So why all of a sudden, if your eight-year-old comes forward and says this happened, why would you think it's okay to be like, are you wanting to do something with it? They're trying to take in all of this stuff already that they're like, I don't think this is supposed to happen. Mom, dad, whoever, grandma, this happened to me. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, what do you want done? Do you want them to go to jail? You know, that's a lot for a kid to take in. And well, even even not a just teenager. A lot. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, that's too much for a kid much. or a teenager to take in. Yep. It's just that shouldn't be on their shoulders. And like you had mentioned earlier, a lot of these, a vast majority of my cases um, were known perpetrators. That is um, the, the random, the random person going down the street, um, perping on kids isn't very common. It's, it's usually a trusted uh, family member, babysitter. a teacher, a babysitter, best friends, older sibling, Something like that. Right. And like I said, kids don't want to see anything bad happen to those people. Mm -hmm. And actually in the forensic interview, I get asked that question a lot at the end of the interview. You know, what's going to happen to this person? Mm -hmm. Are you, are you going to, are they going to get in trouble? And I mean, you can see how torn a child is. You know, these horrible things have happened to them and they want them to stop with every fiber of their being, but they still love that person. Mm -hmm. uh, kids are very resilient and very loving and they still love that person so i i just feel like that statement or question is unfair to ask of kids and i think even parents answering that question because we work in this area we understand the impact that child sexual abuse can have on somebody's future and so making a decision about prosecution especially in the very beginning of a case I just feel like there's not enough information when all of the emotions kind there's, of come at the very beginning. Right. I agree with that. We, and, and we see that, especially in the beginning, uh, from first contact with parents or, or whoever the guardian may be uh, or with the survivor victim. First contact is always going to be different. Emotions are so high 
then when you get toward the end of an investigation, uh, everything's kind of calmed down. Expectations have been set. Updates have been given on the case. And so I agree with that, it, especially in the beginning. It's, just, it's so crucial that it's handled the right way mm-hmm. at the beginning because it could have a snowball effect in, in terms of even the victim not feeling comfortable coming in and talking with Brooke or coming in and talking with Celinda, uh, depending on how they feel adults have handled the disclosure up to that point. Would you agree? Yeah. One thing that's cool, and, and not to, to, to brag about our specific area where we work. Um, it's okay, you can brag. And I'm going We're to. Okay that's that. why I was throwing <laughs> that out there before. Um, but what's really cool about having a place like ours is um, we have Celinda who, while the interview is happening with Brooke, she's meeting with the parents and giving these resources. So kind of going back to what Brooke said, when, when this is disclosed to you, get it reported to DCFS or CPS or law enforcement. So you can start getting it to the resource. I understand not every place has resources like ours, um, uh, at least available at their specific advocacy center. Um, but those resources are still there somehow as provided by the state. So just make sure you reach out to those professionals so you can get those resources out to you. Um, and there are tons of resources. We, we, we just had the forensic interviewer and the advocate here, but you guys also have other resources there. You have a medical team there. You guys have mental health um, there. Um, so there are a lot of resources that can help the kids as it progresses down the road as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a brand new counselor in our location, which I think is huge. We just got an in-house mental health therapist. Which I think is awesome. Uh, I I have met her, and I think it's a, a great advantage that she's able to see what these kids have disclosed so that she will know how to approach it from her expertise field and and that's really what all of this is about we have the law enforcement side we have the advocates we have the interviewer we have the medical we have the counselor Um, so many individuals are there we've already mentioned it multiple times if anyone is listening and has not disclosed something that has happened to them i want you to know that you aren't alone and that there are individuals uh, readily available to help you. You just have to find that cur- courage to come forward. We're going to bring them back again because we have more to talk about and we want to be able to uh, continue to clear this corner for you. Peace, my dad, it hurt.